Welcome to Cardio Radio, a podcast of the Ohio Cardiovascular and Diabetes Health Collaborative, also known as Cardio. This is Dr. Michael Constan from the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, and I serve as the principal investigator for Cardio, a statewide network of Ohio's seven medical schools. Cardio is funded by the Ohio Department of Medicaid and shares best practices to improve cardiovascular health, diabetes outcomes, and to eliminate health disparities in Ohio's Medicaid population. The opinions and recommendations in this podcast are those of the presenters and not those of Cardio and its sponsors, and are not intended to be a substitute for medical advice. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hello, I am Dr. Susan Davis, Associate Professor of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. I am a family physician and geriatrician and interim podcast lead for Cardio's Team Best Practices. In this podcast, we will discuss the evidence and rationale behind timely follow-up in team-based care, and we will describe a best practice for timely follow-up that has been used in several successful quality improvement efforts for cardiovascular conditions. With me today is Dr. Sherry Bolin. Dr. Bolin is a professor of medicine at Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, a general internist and co-principal investigator of cardio. Dr. Boland directs the Population Health and Equity Research Institute at the Metro Health System and has successfully led regional and statewide efforts to improve hypertension and glycemic control in primary care clinics serving diverse populations. Thank you for being here, Dr. Boland. Thank you for having me. So, Dr. Boland, today's discussion is on timely follow-up in managing hypertension. Dr. Boland, what are the types of parameters that you promote? That's a great question. I get asked, what does timely follow-up mean a lot? So we really promote at least monthly follow-up of blood pressure until the blood pressure is controlled. And that one-month time frame really allows sufficient time for the effects of medications like thiazide diuretics, the renin-angiotensin system inhibitors, and beta blockers to achieve the maximal effectiveness for that medication. Some medication classes may have a quicker effect for maximal effect, so the calcium channel blockers and alpha blockers can be seen within a week to have that maximum benefit. However, a month allows sufficient time for all of the different medications to have an effect. Sometimes people need to have sooner appointments than a month, and so we will advocate for seeing patients possibly in a few days or a week or two weeks if the blood pressure is very high such as 180 over 110 or above. But we definitely don't want the interval to be longer than a month when the blood pressure is elevated. This approach of at least monthly follow-up, as you mentioned earlier, has been highly successful as part of a bundle of evidence-based hypertension strategies in many quality improvement efforts across the United States and globally for improvement of blood pressure. And it's really what's been recommended by the American Heart Association for about the last 10 or so years. That's really interesting. So is there evidence that monthly follow-ups improve blood pressure control compared to, let's say, every three-month visits? Yeah, in the past that I still remember, we used to see patients every three months if their blood pressure was high, unless it was very high, like I mentioned earlier. And now we're really promoting that monthly follow-up. And so, you know, there's no randomized trial that's looked at this specific question for cardiovascular events like heart attack and stroke, um, but it has been looked at for achieving blood pressure. 
And we know that longer follow-up between visits prolongs the time before patients achieve their goal blood pressure, and it prolongs the time therefore at risk for those cardiovascular events. In addition, there are data suggesting that patients not achieving the target blood pressure by six months are less likely to ever achieve control. And I wanted to share just one study where they did compare blood pressure control using the current American Colleges of Cardiology and American Heart Association and other guideline recommendations of blood pressure less than 130 over 80 millimeters of mercury compared to the previously recommended blood pressure target of less than 140 over 90 millimeters of mercury. And in that study, they looked at both the National Health and Nutrition Survey, or NHANES, with about 5,000 patients, and they looked at about 29,000 patients in the Reasons for Geographic and Racial Differences in Stroke study. And they estimated that the difference in that 10 millimeters of mercury between those two cut points of the 140 over 90 to 130 over 80 is estimated to prevent about 1.4 million cardiovascular disease events over 10 years or 140,000 events per year. And that really just demonstrates that those small differences in blood pressure really can have an important effect in sort of heart attacks and strokes, even in the short term of over a year. So I think it just speaks to the importance of getting that blood pressure under control quickly. Do your patients need to follow up with a physician each time in your office or can they meet with another team member? We really promote the use of team-based care in primary care, and that could be with a variety of team members. And that's been successful in studies where they've looked at this in a number of different ways. So that that's looked at medical assistant-led visits, nurses, nurse practitioners and physician assistants, dietitians, clinical pharmacists, and or community health workers or health coaches. So a number of team members have been studied as part of team-based care for blood pressure control, showing real benefits to having those team members engaged. That seems reasonable. What can the different team members do in the non-physician visit? Yeah, these team members can really do a number of things within the visit. They can promote lifestyle change, like the dietary approaches to stop hypertension diet and the low-salt diet. They can assist in ordering home blood pressure monitors if they do not have one. They can educate patients around home blood pressure monitoring as well as assess them using the home blood pressure monitor at the visit. They can assess and address medication taking. They can ensure important labs are done if a new medication has recently been started where you might need to measure a potassium or a kidney function. They can add or up-titrate medications using a protocol if their licensure allows, or they can ensure that the provider knows to add a medicine or increase a medicine when needed. And then they can ensure that continued monthly follow-up until the blood pressure is controlled. And while I mentioned a lot of different aspects that they can do in that visit, it is really important to ensure a prescribing provider is engaged with the visit for medication titration, uh, meaning adding or increasing a blood pressure medication where appropriate. So that could be a nurse, a health coach, or a community health worker, or a medical assistant just sending a prescribing provider the visit note who can then add or increase a medicine or if the visit is with a prescribing provider, then they can add or increase that medicine as part of the visit. And I just wanted to mention that we do have visit templates that can assist team members or primary care teams 
along with appropriate training to do those follow-up visits. And we have those on our cardio website at www.cardio.org within our Hypertension Quality Improvement Project Change Package. That's really interesting. What processes have been most successful to ensure that patients get scheduled for follow-up appointments consistently. What sort of model do you suggest, Dr. Bolin? Yeah, it's really critical to have standardized processes for staff and providers with that data and performance feedback. So really showing to the primary care teams, this is the percent of patients with elevated blood pressure who had a follow-up visit scheduled within one month. And that helps the primary care teams get a really good process in place to make sure we don't miss anyone. And then once you've, you're looking at the data and you've established that process, you can then continue to follow and, and maintain. One highly successful model that's been used at many clinics across the state is having whoever rooms the patient and actually takes the blood pressure automatically schedule the patient for that follow-up appointment within 30 days and explain why to the patient even before they see the provider. And the provider at that point in time could then reinforce the need to follow up, but they could even change it if they think it needs to be different. But that way nobody's missed because of not seeing that the blood pressure was high or they leave the appointment afterward and don't get scheduled. Another way that has been successful to ensure appointments get scheduled is to use a red heart that's given to the patient's with the elevated blood pressure when they have that first measured. And that red heart reminds the provider to talk to them about their blood pressure. It reminds the person um, dealing with them at checkout to schedule the follow-up. However, when you start doing this chain, you may miss some people, for instance, who leave before going to the checkout desk. And so there are some missed opportunities that happen with this, uh, but it has been successful in helping improve a more consistent process in primary care. That's a creative idea. So, Dr. Bolin, how would you handle reluctant patients who do not want to come back for a timely follow-up? Yeah, a great question. This can be particularly frustrating to primary care team members because we obviously care about our patients a lot. We don't want them to not get the treatment that they need. And we remember patients that are unable to come back and they stick out in our mind as things that we need to address or, or ways that we need to improve. So I think a couple things. One is really just asking the patient their concerns or any challenges they have in having that follow-up appointment. And it is very individualized. Different people have different concerns and different issues. I have also found it really helpful to just explain that I'm worried about their blood pressure, and that can be very useful from any primary care team member, but also especially the provider that's seeing them. Just showing that you really care about them and that's why you're encouraging them to follow up so that you're not worried about having a bad event. And then, of course, try to address those barriers such as time, cost, transportation. So one mechanism is using a telehealth visit with home blood pressure monitoring for those with transportation concerns, for instance. Or if someone is really concerned about addressing side effects or adverse effects, making sure you explain that, that you offer more than one treatment option and allow a patient to choose what might fit best for their needs. Dr. Bolin, what do staff think about monthly follow-ups for blood pressure? Doesn't this create more work for them? How do you convince the team that this is a good idea? Yes, 
The staff can be different and diverse. And so some staff are really excited about the opportunity to be a part of enhancing blood pressure control and part of this workflow um, and feel very passionate about trying to improve blood pressure. Other staff may have concerns about their time and resources and so may want to make sure that they can do the work that's being asked of them. So I think first, again, just like with patients, we want to listen and try to understand and address their concerns. Insufficient time and resources are a big concern and they're very real concerns. One of the things that we try and do, um, just like with patients, is explain why this is so important and why we're trying to do the work. We often assume that our primary care teams know the importance of this, and that's not always the case. This really is the bread and butter of primary care, uh, one of the bread and butter aspects of primary care. So I think, you know, making sure we explain why that's so important to our primary care teams. I think second, again, what can we do to address concerns that come up? We often start with one staff and one provider who are most interested. We test it with a small number of patients for that one staff and that one provider and work out any kinks to make sure that we streamline the process as much as possible. And that can include timing it, making sure that we do whatever we can to make that timing as effective as possible. And then really showing that success to other staff and providers can be very useful as you scale up the activity and share how the model has been successful to improve blood pressure in many settings. Dr. Bolin, how does this timely follow-up of blood pressure translate to the other cardiovascular conditions or risk factors, such as poor glycemic control or a smoking habit? Yeah, this is likely to transfer well to other cardiovascular conditions and risk factors, but it may depend a bit on the particular condition or behavior. So I'll give you two examples of this. One is for diabetes. Um, there is some early evidence from our Medicaid-funded statewide quality improvement effort in Ohio with high-volume Medicaid primary care practices that showed a benefit of that monthly follow-up until the blood sugars were controlled. There is also evidence from several studies of patients with diabetes demonstrating more frequent follow-up is associated with improved glycemic control compared to the usual three-month follow-up. And I'm going to share with you two studies. One study was done by Dr. Hugh in Diabetes Technology and Therapeutics in 2012, and they randomized people with type 2 diabetes on oral medications to a monthly follow-up visit versus a three-month follow-up visit. And those randomized to the monthly follow-up had better glycemic or blood sugar improvement and had improved quality of life compared to those with the three months of follow-up that persisted for a year of follow-up. A second study by Dr. Morrison in Archives of Internal Medicine in 2011 really evaluated 26,000 people with diabetes and who also had an elevated hemoglobin A1c, an elevated low-density lipoprotein cholesterol, and elevated systolic blood pressure that were seen in primary care at one of two teaching hospitals between 2000 and 2009. Comparing those patients who had encounters with their physicians between one to two weeks versus that three to six month follow-up, the median time to hemoglobin A1C less than seven was about four months versus about 25 months for those not on insulin. It was about 10 months versus 53 months for those on insulin. The median time to blood pressure lowering 
less than 130 over 85 was about one month versus 14 months. And the median time to that low-density lipoprotein cholesterol less than 100 milligrams per deciliter was about five months versus about 33 months. So that time to control decreased progressively as the visit frequency increased up to once every two weeks for most of those targets. And that's consistent with the pharmacodynamics of the respective medication classes. In summary of that, really that every two to four week compared to that every three to six month, really people did much better in reaching all of those targets. Another example outside of diabetes is smoking cessation. We know that successful evidence-based smoking cessation counseling typically involves three to six follow-up appointments, similar to what's done by the Ohio Quit Line and other Quit Line services. And follow-up just before and just after a patient's planned quit date may be particularly helpful to patients. These follow-ups can often be done as a phone visit. And if the patient's goal was a small step towards quitting, checking in about progress, offering encouragement, and additional resources as needed can be really helpful at those follow-up visits. Dr. Bolin, what are some high-level takeaways around timely follow-up that you would like to share? Thanks for asking. I always like to summarize. I know I've covered a lot in this podcast. I think at least monthly follow-up for patients with elevated blood pressure in particular And several other cardiovascular conditions or risk factors may be extremely helpful in moving patients toward better cardiovascular outcomes. Team members within primary care can assist in setting up consistent and solid processes for scheduling patients and really help us lead hypertension or other cardiovascular-focused visits. And I really hope that you all, the listeners, have the opportunity to explore how to do this together with your primary care teams. Thank you, Dr. Bolin. I'm grateful for these insights on timely blood pressure follow-up. That's all the time we have right now, but thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Dr. Davis. I enjoyed being able to talk with you about this today. And a special thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in to Cardio Radio. This concludes today's podcast. Be sure to visit cardio.org to learn more about the Ohio Cardiovascular and Diabetes Health Collaborative.